0: So this morning I'll open with a poem. I want to state that I did not write this. (laughs) Um, If words could satisfy the heart, the heart might find less care. But words, like summer birds depart, and leave but empty air. The heart, a pilgrim upon earth, finds often when it needs. That words are of as little worth as just so many weeds. This is a the first stanza of a poem titled "Words" by Charles Swain, and it's a a pretty pessimistic view of words. <laughs> he says that words are of as little worth as just uh, so many weeds. I don't know who hurt him with words in the past, uh, but uh, that's how he describes, and it's not a very a very hopeful image. But what are words? Anyway, they're in some ways hard to describe. And if you're looking for a technical definition, Merriam-Webster defines words in two main ways. The first is a speech sound or series of speech sounds that symbolizes and communicates a meaning. And the second is a written or printed character or combination of characters representing a spoken word. And so from those definitions, we can gather that words are these things that we use to communicate meaning. Sometimes we write them. Sometimes we speak them. But from a very early age, as people, we learn that there are your your good words, right? And there are your bad words, right? There are the words that we're supposed to say, things that are okay to say. And there's words that are not okay to say. And as we also learn from an early age, words have... Power, right? Words have influence. Words have power to heal, to lift people up, to encourage. But words also have power to harm, right? To, to deal damage sometimes, to bring people down. Words have power to teach. Through words, we can read a book, we can learn some information, we can figure out a new way to do things. This sermon contains about 3,000 words. Hopefully they'll be useful (laughs) today. Uh, And what I'm getting at is this. Words have purpose. God uses words, and God has given us the ability to use words. And so this morning, as Paul continues his conversation with the Thessalonians, Paul will make a distinction between what he calls the Word of God and the Word of men. Two very different things. So let me pray for us this morning as we open. Father, words, uh, they're a gift in some ways from you. uh, And God, in some ways we misuse them. And so God, as we learn about uh, your word this morning, as we look at uh, what Paul has said to us through your word, I pray that you would uh, speak words through me that are helpful, words that uh, may challenge, but also words that may encourage. God, may every word that I say this morning be uh, subjected to you, and God, may you uh, use me to speak through. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So if you haven't turned with me already, we're going to be in the book of 1 Thessalonians this morning. Uh, We looked at verses 1 through 12 last week, and we're going to be continuing in chapter 2 this morning. We'll be looking at verses 13 through 16. So a, a short passage this morning, but one that I think might be helpful. And today's passage is split up into three parts. The first part is receiving God's word in verse 13. Second part is living God's word, in verse 14. And the third part, opposing God's word, in verses 15 and 16. Let me uh, read verse 13 for us this morning. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. I'll stop there. And so Paul, in this section, he's making a pretty significant shift uh, from what we looked at last week. Last week he talked about himself. He was proving his own authenticity. And so this morning, Paul will be moving to talking about the Thessalonians. And... As he's been doing so far in this letter, he expresses thankfulness for them. And Paul, in this section, is thankful for one specific thing. The Thessalonians received and accepted the word of God. And so to receive the word of God meant that when Paul came with the message of the gospel, they allowed him to speak it. They were receptive to. To it. They didn't reject it. But further than that, the Thessalonians realized that Paul was speaking divine truth. They allowed this word of God to enter into their hearts, and they realized that this message was not simply something that a man could bring, not simply something that Paul could bring, but uh, that this had truly come from God Himself. And so they let the message of Paul enter into their hearts and they let it change them. To put it simply, God speaks, we respond, and then he transforms. And so Paul is thankful that the Thessalonians have had this response. And this is because this response is the one that he wants to hear when he's sharing the gospel with these cities, right? Paul wants those he speaks to to accept the word of God that he is sharing. And there have been plenty others along Paul's path who have not had this response that the Thessalonians had. And the key to this first verse is a very small phrase. Paul says, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as the word of God. See, there's a difference between the word of men and the word of God. A pretty big difference, I might say. The Thessalonians lived in a city that was filled with words. There were new religions that were spouting a new way to reach God. And their religious leaders used lofty language to appear pious. right? They, they used words in order to do that. There were new philosophies that were claiming to have figured out the meaning of life. And philosophers who wrote long theories in order to appear wise to others. All of those words of men and all of them coming up empty. Paul, when describing how he shared the gospel with others... He said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. This is the passage uh, that Nick read for us last week. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. My speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The word of God brings fullness, brings life. The word of men comes up empty. And the word of God, the gospel message that Paul had preached, was in itself a simple message, right? Jesus died. Jesus rose, and in him we can have eternal life, right? Simply, that's the gospel. And a message does not need to be complex in order for it to be powerful. The power of the word of God comes from him, doesn't come from us. The word of God is not reliant on our creativity, on our charisma, or on our eloquence, And this is good news for me uh, because I have to write a sermon every week. (laughs) Um, And I put a lot of pressure on myself to prepare a good sermon every week. But sometimes I need to remember, sometimes the simple message is the most powerful. But this is good news for you also as you go out to share the gospel with people in your life, right? It's not your words that matter. What matters is allowing God to speak through you. God doesn't want us to figure out the right words to say. He wants us to be faithful to him and trust that he will give us the right words to say. Have you ever noticed that in that moment when you're like, I don't know what I'm going to say to this person, but God gives you the right things to say in that moment. And so closing out the verse, Paul says that the word of God is at work in the Thessalonians. And this is how we know that this is truly the Word of God because it is alive in them. You can see the Word of God being lived out in their lives. When we accept God's Word into our hearts, it begins to change us. It's easy here to make a connection between the Word of God and the Gospel message, right? And the Word of God that we now have, the full scripture, right? What we know of as the Bible. And the struggle of the Thessalonian church was differentiating between the word of God and the word of men. And I would argue it's because um, those people that we talked about last week, there were some who had crept in who were being deceitful. And in some ways we have the same problem today. Belief in the authority of scripture is shrinking among Christians, among evangelicals. And I would argue that that's happening because the word of men is creeping in to us as well as it was with the Thessalonians. There are some who are uncomfortable with the hard truths and the hard sayings of the word of God. And some work to get the scripture to say what they want it to say. An issue when it comes to the word of God is it's really a question of who is at the center of all this. Do we put ourselves at the center and frame scripture around us? Or, and this is the right answer, do we put scripture at the center and frame our lives around it? D.A. Carson, a famous New Testament scholar, puts it this way. To our shame, we have hungered to be masters of the word much more than we have hungered to be mastered by it. The goal is not just to know the word, not just to master it, but to have it master you and have your life life align with it. The word of God will work in us, but only if we recognize its authority to do so. And so this morning, what words do you listen to? Think about your life over the past week. What have you heard? What have you read? What have you listened to? The word of men or the word of God? To put the question another way, who do you let inform your life that doesn't have Scripture as the highest authority in their life? Friends, may we be a church who receives and accepts the word of God. May we be people whose lives are being transformed by it. And so Paul moves on, and he moves on talking about what this life transformation looks like. He's mentioned life transformation. So let's move on to our next point for this morning, living out God's word. Let me read verse 14 for us. For you, brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. I'll pause there. And so the word being at work in us means that we begin to live out what it says. And for the Thessalonians, living out the word meant becoming imitators. Paul has already talked about the idea of imitation. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. But now he commends the Thessalonians for imitating a church, specifically the churches in Judea. And this is Paul's first time mentioning these churches in this book. So we need some background here. The Judean churches suffered intense persecution likely because of their proximity to Jerusalem and the hostility of the Jews to, uh, to the Jewish Christians and this persecution, which Paul would have witnessed himself because Paul was a part of it before his conversion. And even after Paul became a follower of Jesus, the persecution continued. And so the Judean churches were known for being steadfast in the midst of persecution. And for Paul to compliment the Thessalonians, it's a little ironic because he kind of caused the persecution in Judea, but it's also an incredible encouragement. So Paul says that the suffering of the Thessalonians is the same as it was for the the Judeans. In the same way that the Jews persecuted the Jewish Christians in Judea, the Greeks were now persecuting the Greek Christians in Thessalonica. And Paul is saying that the Thessalonians were steadfast in the midst of their persecution. Here is how the word changes us. It changes our affections. Simply put, it changes what we care about. The Thessalonians became willing to suffer for the sake of Christ They cared about the spreading of the gospel more than they cared about their own personal safety or well-being. They were aligning themselves with the teachings of Jesus. And this is what Jesus said in Luke chapter 12. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he was killed. Has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. The Thessalonians took hold of the truth of that passage, and seeing the value that they had before God, and the purpose, Of the Word of God is not to give us more knowledge. Its purpose is to be a mirror, to show us our own lives, so that we compare the lives that we're living with the lives that Scripture says we're supposed to be living. We're supposed to read passages like this one and say, You know, I really struggle with the fear of people, but I know that I'm supposed to fear God. And then we ask a follow-up question. What would it look like for me to be more courageous? What would it look like for me to rid myself of that fear of people? And sometimes we think, oh, well, you know, this is just a story. This kind of thing would never happen to us, right? The Thessalonians were persecuted, but, you know, we're so far off from persecution here in America. But it could happen to us, right? Seem to be moving in that direction. I don't mean to you know, be fear mongering, but there might come a time when Americans persecute American Christians in our cities. And would we be ready for that? Right? Our, I hope that our answer is yes, but that's why we have the Word of God to remind us of what's important. It's not safety, it's not money. It's not food, it's not clothes. Jesus, when he was tempted in the wilderness by Satan, quoted Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The word of God should be of utmost importance in our lives. And once it's in our lives, our lives will be transformed by it. Move on to our last point for this morning. Look at opposing God's word in verses 15 through 16. Paul, talking about the Jews here, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and oppose all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always, to fill up the measure of their sins, the wrath has come upon them at last. And so Paul closes in this final section here. He includes a history lesson on the persecution that God's people have received over the centuries. First, he mentions that the Jews killed Jesus. And Paul isn't mincing words here. It was the Jews who constantly tried to trap Jesus. It was the Jews who betrayed Jesus. It was the Jews who falsely accused Jesus. It was the Jews who wrongly convicted him. And it was ultimately the Jews who crucified him. The very Son of God sent to save them. They killed. The Messiah, who they had been waiting for for centuries, rejected And this was recent history for Paul. But Paul also points back to those who had come before Jesus and those who were proclaiming God's word that were persecuted. The Jews also killed the prophets who came before Christ. All you have to do is look at the accounts of Jeremiah or Isaiah to know the the suffering that the prophets faced when they were proclaiming God's word to the Jews. The Jews... Ran Paul and the other disciples out of Jerusalem and out of Judea and out into the world. And Paul says in verse 16 that they hindered them from speaking to the Gentiles. Ultimately, through these things, the Jews were rejecting God himself. By rejecting those who God had spent, who God had sent, those who God was speaking through, the Jews were ultimately rejecting him by rejecting those who God had sent, the Jews were rejecting all of mankind. Rejecting those who came to warn, those who came to save. And the Jews were actively hindering people from spending eternity in heaven with God. Which, when you think about it, it's pretty serious. And so Jesus told a story about this. It's called the parable of the tenants. You don't have to turn here in your Bibles. I'll just read for us. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard, and put a fence around it, and dug a pit for the winepress, and built a tower, and leased it to the tenants, and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants, to get from them some fruit of the vineyard. And they took him, and beat him, and sent him away empty handed. Again, he sent to them another servant, And they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent another, and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Jesus, clearly talking about The persecution that the prophets had faced and then ultimately the son being himself who would be rejected. And it's really easy here to point the finger at the Jews, right? To say, oh, they're so foolish. But the point of this section and what Paul is getting at is not to point the finger at the Jewish people. Some have taken passages like this too far and used it for anti-Semitic purposes. That's not what we're supposed to take away from this. What we're supposed to get from this section is that sometimes we are like the Jews. We're supposed to ask, why were the Jews so opposed to those that spoke the word of God to them? The answer to that question is simple. They didn't like what God had to say, right? They didn't like what God had to say because God was calling them out of something old into something new. God was calling them out of an old way of thinking and living into a new way of thinking. When God speaks to us, sometimes what he asks us to do is difficult for us. It's difficult because we're comfortable doing things the way that we've always done them, right? But that doesn't mean that what God's asking us to do isn't ultimately good. The Jews, when they were in the wilderness, said, God... This traveling in the wilderness is so hard. Can't we just go back to Egypt? Or when Jesus came, they said, God, we don't want this savior that you've brought us. Can not we just keep doing our religious practices the same way that we've always done them? And that's low hanging fruit because that's the Jews, right? But what is it for Christians today? God, this teaching on homosexuality is too harsh. Can't we just accept those who are different from us? Sometimes, what God asks us to do, what God speaks to us, is difficult for us to accept. But that doesn't mean that God is wrong. And so, what is it for you this morning? Think about that for a second. What is God saying to you that you are rejecting? Because you're comfortable. What hard truth has God spoken to you. Through his word. Through maybe someone else. That you're really struggling to accept. Could be. Oh you know God. I I don't want to address my gossiping problem. Can't I just share this one bit of news. That I just heard with someone that I shouldn't. Maybe it's. God, I I can't respond to that thing that you're calling me to do with my life. Can't I just keep doing what I'm doing for a few more years? These are the, the things that we say, right? Those are the excuses that we make. They're the ways that we, like the Jews, oppose the word of God. But when God speaks to us, we have to listen. And as we spend time listening to the word of God, reading the Word of God, studying the Word of God. Its purpose is to show us the life that we should be living. But it also shows us our sin and the ways that we haven't been living according to it. It's hard work to get through the difficulty and to truly accept what God is saying to us. But it is worth it. When God speaks something to us, We have a choice. We can receive it. And accept it. Like the Thessalonians did. Or we can reject it. And oppose it. Like the Jews did. May we be a church. May we be people who. Receive and accept the word of God. And I don't just. Stand up here saying these things. Because I have to. right? As a pastor. But. I truly believe and I am convinced that a life aligned with what God has said to us through his word is truly the best way to live. It might not be popular, might not always uh, give us friends, but it's what God has asked us to do. So may we be faithful in doing it.